0: The MCAT Cars Podcast, session number six. The Cars section of the MCAT gives thousands of pre-meds nightmares every night. Whether you're an ESL student, lack confidence while reading, or are a slow reader like me, Jack Weston and the medical school headquarters are here to help you score higher in every section so you can be confident you're ready to get the MCAT score of your dreams. Welcome to the MCAT Cars Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I sit down with Jack Weston, founder of Jack Weston, the expert in MCAT Cars strategy. This week, we are diving into an article from Harper's all about the printed word. Jack Weston back for some more MCAT cars passages. How are you?
1: I'm great, man. How are you? How's it going?
0: I'm excited to read and and fail and have you teach me how to be a better reader.
1: Dude, you're an <laughs> awesome reader. Honestly, <laughs> like after doing these a couple with you know a couple of these with you, like I just realized you have no problems reading. You know, it's just, it just comes down to reading boring stuff, which we'll look at today. And I mean, if you read this stuff often enough, uh, you really get a hang of it. So
0: we got our first bit of feedback from the first episode, or one of the first episodes, and it was from an ESL student saying, it was like this podcast was made for
1: me. And that's exactly why it was made, right? Yeah, well, I mean, ESL, or even students just not uh, comfortable reading in general, or just anyone really can benefit from understanding things better, and hopefully that's helping them in that way. Yeah, and it's not even, we, we harp on... ESL, we
0: harp on kind of reading comprehension, but I think it's, it's a skill in of itself to read these passages or articles as we're reading here on the podcast and really not read into things too much, which is where I struggle a lot uh, as as well as not comprehending when I read quickly, but I, I tend to make too many assumptions. And so hopefully as we're going through these articles and, and passages in the future that we're teaching you to not make assumptions and just read what's in front of you
1: that's so true that is everything when it comes to cars uh and yeah and we, we will read into things we will dissect things a little deeper than what is necessary simply to make you more comfortable right to make you more aware of of the language of how they speak of how they use the the english language right so In that way, we will dissect it. You may get a little lost in it, but never lose track of the bigger picture. And that's something we'll touch on a lot. All right. So what is in store for us today? Okay. So today's article is very, very hard. On a scale from 1 to 10, I would say this is a 13. So basically, this will never show up on your test. Like You'll never get something this dense, this difficult, this boring on your exam. So then why are we looking at it, right? I think if you read denser stuff, you can read anything, right? So it's a good way to challenge yourself, to really test yourself, to really uh, make sure you understand uh, the little ins and outs of every sentence that they present. And so will you ever see this? No. I think the highest you'll see is a 10 out of 10, obviously, but uh, we will do things that are a lot harder just so that you can get better at it. So if you have been reading this stuff, especially this article— um, that we're looking at today and you thought, wow, this was really, really hard. I can't do this. It's it's really not you. Just remember that this is like upper level, like really, really high-end reading that the MCAT doesn't necessarily expect from you.
0: Okay. All right. This is going back to my exercise physiology days, right? If you want to be able to bench 225 pounds 10 times, you're going to have to be able to bench 300 pounds at least a couple times and so yeah we're at that 300 pound mark today all right so let's jump into this article and again if you want to follow along go to mcatcarspodcast.com and you can go to the show notes for this episode and and read along to the article that we are diving into today in february at an event at the 92nd street wise unterberg poetry center in new york while sharing the stage with my fellow British writer Martin Amos and discussing the impact of screen-based reading and bidirectional digital media on the Republic of Letters, I threw this query out to an audience that I estimate was about 300 strong. Have any of you been reading anything by Norman Mailer in the past year? That's a very long sentence. <laughs> wow. Okay, so we have a couple names, right? We have uh, a fellow British writer, Martin Ames, who is with the author, and they're they're at this poetry center, and they're asking the audience a question about reading anything by Norman Mailer. That's excellent.
1: That's it. That's all you really need to know. I mean, this other stuff was really just fluff, like Unterberg, who cares, right? Um And they are talking about reading and bi-directional media, uh, digital media. Not sure what that means, but digital reminds me of, you know, like computers, maybe, technology, maybe. Uh, But yeah, sounds good. So have you read anything by this guy, Mailer? Go ahead.
0: After a while, one hand went up, then another tentatively semi-elevated. Oh, so this is interesting. After a while. So it's it's saying that apparently people... Reading into this, people didn't want to admit that they were reading Norman Mailer, and and the you, the word that tentatively, semi elevated, like somebody didn't want to be like, yeah, I did, but I, yeah, I, can I, you
1: can, well, can you imagine like someone trying to like raise their hand, but like isn't necessarily raising their hand, right? <laughs> so, what does it seem like? A lot of people, or not so many people? As far as what raising the raising their hand,
0: not a lot of people,
1: right? So we don't we can't really we don't really know if they're embarrassed. Mm-hmm. We don't really know like why it's semi raised, right? Semi elevated, but we do know it's not that many people. Yeah. Frankly, I was surprised it was that many. So the author
0: is is, is admitting the fact that not a lot of people maybe should have read this Norman Mailer piece or pieces.
1: So what do you mean should have? Because
0: he's saying, frankly, I was surprised it was that many. So he's, right. he, was, he was assuming, the author, I'm, I'm assuming, the author is assuming that nobody was going to have raised their hand. Correct. And oh, look, one or two people raised their hand.
1: Correct. Right. Yeah. So it, it, in some way, the author assumed not a lot of people would be reading. Yeah. This we don't know course. why yet. Right.
0: I want to know why. <laughs> and that's where I, I go wrong with these passages. I'm like, I'm just jumping to conclusions. Why not? Why not? Why not? So, okay. Of course, there are good reasons why Mailer in particular should suffer posthumous obscurity with such alacrity. His brand of male essentialist, braggadocio, is arguably extraneous in the age of Trump, Weinstein, and fourth wave feminism. Interesting. Okay, lots of hard words in here for me. Um, I don't know a lot of them. Uh, Alicrity, I don't know. Braggadocio, I I think I know that word. Um, So, and and then some more names here. Trump, Weinstein, um, and and knowing kind of current events, we know that those names aren't very uh, popular right now, at least among some people. Uh and so he's kind of comparing, I think, mailer to these people, um and and this male essentialist braggadocio, I'm picturing just some uh stereotypical male who uh thinks he's he's all that.
1: Right. Okay. So yeah, I mean that's really it. Uh basically he's just not relevant given, you know, this kind of uh environment we're in right now, the the time we're in, right? Where uh, there's a lot of male essentialist braggadocio, whatever that that really means mm-hmm. is going on. So that, yeah, I mean, you caught on to exactly what they wanted you to know. Now, you may not know what posthumous means um, or what that kind of means with re- with regards to obscurity, um, but it, that doesn't matter. Or extraneous, it, do- it doesn't matter. As long as you realize that the author is comparing Mailer to Trump Weinstein and it's kind of like a, a male kind of centered bragging kind of thing then you're fine braggadocio i mean kind of sounds like you're bragging right Mm -hmm. so uh, you caught on to that great
0: moreover mailer's brilliance such as it was seemed even at the time he wrote to be sparks struck by a steely intellect against the tortuous rocks of a particular age even though he labored tirelessly to the very end principally at the booster of his own reputation Wow, so that sentence, I have no idea what it's telling me. Um, other than I think that the author is saying that Mailer was a great writer. Um, that's it,
1: Mailer's brilliance. Yeah, right. So Mailer, as long as you caught onto that, the rest isn't that important. Now I can, I can, we'll we'll dissect it for what it really means, but that's not very important, right, to the bigger scheme of to the larger idea. Uh, you know what happens for most students by the time they get to the last sentence of this paragraph? Uh, their their eyes are glazed over and they're ready to move on. <laughs> well, they they mentally have shut down. Yeah, right. Like th- these two sentences. I like to look at this paragraph and think of a boxing match. Like the first couple sentences are like small punches, not so bad, right? But then as soon as you get to like the third or fourth sentence, these guys are hitting hard, right? Like what is going on and a lot of students get knocked out and just give up right at, at this point they're you know just they've lost focus it's just hard to keep focus but the key here is to just focus on what you do understand so you understood the fact that mailer may be some kind of male essentialist or bra- you know bragging kind of guy you also understood that mailer is also brilliant and that's all you really need to know so great job so for a technique for students as they're reading,
0: if they get to these sentences where they're like, what the heck did I just read? Maybe instead of trying to go and reread it again to try to pick it apart, maybe just ask yourself, what's, what's one thing
1: that I do know about this sentence and then move That's on? That's it. That is correct. Rereading is not a good idea unless you have to go back to the passage. Um, I, don't, I don't recommend rereading. Uh, and doing so will not help you. Like, if you read this sentence three times over, you may understand it a little bit better, but not enough to make a, di- a big difference on, on your score. So, whatever you do catch on to the first time around is probably more than enough. Uh, now, let's kind of break down this sentence. So, Mailer has some kind of brilliance, right? Like, ob- like there's something good about Mailer. And it seems like it was based upon the fact that he was writing in a bad time. Like it says that his brilliance comes from, such as it was, right, comes from the, the time he wrote. So he was maybe writing during a, a, a tortuous, rocky time in a in a particular age that is not necessarily easy or 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 really it's difficult so his that's where his brilliance comes from the fact that he can write kind of in a in a in a um in a hard time right Mm -hmm. uh and then at the end it says like you know what he did was uh, was helpful for his reputation it boosted his reputation the fact that he was able to be so good at a bad time um aided in his reputation was that necessary to understand fully no you know, do you need to know what steely intellect means? I mean, just, that just means he's very smart, right? Mm. Uh, no, but knowing that he has some brilliant attributes is more than enough here. Okay. Okay, so so what's the big picture of this paragraph?
0: Um, that Norman Mailer, uh, that, that nobody reads Norman Mailer anymore because this big audience, nobody had listened to him or read him? That's
1: it. That's it. So hopefully those last two sentences didn't distract you from that bigger picture, and hopefully those last two sentences simply gave you an an idea of of the author's opinion about Mailer, which may or may not be tested, probably not tested. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead. It's also true that
0: as J.G. Ballard sagely remarked, for a writer, death is always a career move. And for most of us the move is a demotion as we're simultaneously lowered into the grave and our works into the dustbin. So we have a new name. I think I think you you've taught us maybe to pay attention to names. Uh so we have a new name that that we may need to remember where this is. And then he's he's talking about the death of writers and so um he, and he's saying that usually when you die for a writer, that's not a very good thing because people, the, the works go into a dustbin, so people forget about you.
1: That's great. Yeah, and that, Ballard says that, right? So it's probably important to know Ballard said that, all right? Yeah. But having noted all of the above, it remains the case that Mailer's
0: death coincided with another far greater extinction, that of the literary Malu, in which he'd come to prominence and been sustained for decades oh okay so lots of big words here again and for me i'm like literary milieu or i don't even know how to pronounce that i think that's how you say it Um, milieu yeah milieu i i have no idea what that is trying to tell me um so i think so so this is one of those sentences from the previous paragraph where i said If I have no idea what I just read, instead of going back to read it all, I'm going to ask myself, what's the one thing that I do know? And I do know that the author is saying that the death coincided with something else. I'm not quite sure what that something else is because there's too many big words to to remember. That
1: That was genius. That was perfect. That's exactly what you need to do, right? There's a death of the author, which leads to the death of their work, right? In a way, the dustbin. Right. You're just throwing it away. Yeah. But then it seems like there is a greater extinction. So some kind of literary milieu, which may or may not be understood that well, but it does say in which he'd come to prominence. So maybe the time that he was writing in or the the type of literature he was writing in is also kind of dying. Yeah. Okay. But we, we might not know exactly what that means and that's fine. Go ahead. It's a milieu
0: that I hesitate to identify entirely with what's understood by the ringing phrase the Republic of Letters, even though the overlap between the two was once great indeed. And I cannot be alone in wondering what will remain of the latter once the former, which not long ago seemed so very solid, has melted into air. Uh, yeah, so this one, right? going right back to what you were saying before, like, I would be done. My mind would be shut down. I have no idea what that's trying to say. And and for me, when I hear ladder and former and and trying to keep those straight in my mind, I, I get lost. And so I, I'd give up on this this paragraph. Yeah.
1: you know what most students start thinking? Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for MCAT. I can't do this. This is too hard, right? Or, oh, I got to void. I'm not, you know, like imagine getting this kind of, pa- you won't get something this difficult on the test. But if you did, right, or something equivalent to this, will you give up or will you stick with it, right? Yeah. That's that's the difference between, you know, someone who ends up doing well and someone who has to retake it or or um, has to reprepare. Yeah, so for me, if I were to break down this paragraph, I,
0: I have no idea what the last sentence is telling me, so I would stick with what I do know from the first couple of sentences and that um, after um, Mailer's death, there was some other greater extinction and that when an author dies, their works kind of go into the dustbin.
1: Sounds good. That's it. And it, doesn't it kind of follow with the previous paragraph where things are dying in a way? Like people are not reading it, right? Like that's, I think, the bigger element that you have to keep track of here. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay, Sounds paragraph good. three. What I do feel isolated in, if not entirely alone in, is my determination as a novelist essayist, and journalist, not to rage against the dying of literature's light, although it's surprising how little of this there is, but merely to examine the great technological discontinuity of our era, as we pivot from the wave to the particle, the fractile to the fungible, and the mechanical to the computable. Oh, so, again, this is one I'm like, wow, I don't know. He's doing lots of from one thing to the others. Um, and I, I, I have actually no idea what he's trying to say without going to rereading and trying to break it down.
1: You, you, you probably read it a little bit too quickly, right? When things start getting harder, go a little bit slower, right? Give yourself that room to like just absorb what you're reading. So what like did you catch anything that was going on or nothing?
0: Um, that he, the rage is what stuck out to me. So it sounds like the author, uh, wants to prevent this dying of what, what was been, has been talked about in the first two paragraphs of, of death and things going away and no longer being read. He wants to prevent that. That's excellent.
1: That's it. That if you just know that you're fine, but if you want, let's, let's go ahead and break this down. So the author is saying, um, "What I do feel isolated in, if not entirely alone in, is my determination as a novelist." So we we already know this guy's a novelist, essayist, and journalist, not to rage against the dying of literature's light. So he doesn't, or he or she does not want to really attack this change, right? He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to rage against the fact that literature is dying. Right, this this sense of literature is dying. But the fact that he's saying I don't want to rage means that he does want to rage. Mm-hmm. Right? He's holding back his rage. So in a way, he is angry. Okay. Although it's surprising how little of this there is, but merely to examine the great technological discontinuity, discontinuity of our era. So what does that kind of represent? That means that maybe there's this change in technology that is occurring. Um, as, as we pivot from the wave to the particle, so again, technology is introducing these changes. And this is one example, as we look at waves in, in terms of particles now, or fractal to the fungible, basically this is showing a change in, in the way we look at technology. And the last one I think makes the most sense, mechanical to the computable, that's showing that we're going towards more te- technology-based So as literature is going to a more technological aspect or or world, um, the author is getting angry, but the author is trying to hold back their anger, their rage. So did you really need to understand it at that level? I don't think so. I think what you said, that fact that the author is trying to fight or wants to go against this change, this death is more than enough. Okay. Okay, go ahead.
0: I first began consciously responding as a literary practitioner to the manifold impacts of BDDM in the early 2000s. Although being the age I am, I've been feeling its effects throughout my working life. And I first started to write and speak publicly about it around a decade ago. So he's writing and talking about something um, this manifold impacts of BDDM. I have no idea. We don't know what that is.
1: We did talk about BDDM um, earlier in the first paragraph. Ooh, what, do mean, what do you think it means?
0: Um, I have no idea.
1: BDDM is bi-directional digital media. That was mentioned in the first paragraph. Oh. So it's relating to technology here. And we know it's talking about technology because the previous sentence was talking about technological stuff. So it seems like the author is saying that uh, they've been talking about this technological impact for a while. Okay. okay All right.
0: Would would that happen on the MCAT? So um, if you're if you're just listening to this BDDM, you would assume that. In a, in a previous sentence that BDDM would be defined, uh, which it's not after bidirectional digital media. Uh, on the MCAT, will you find passages where abbreviations like this aren't defined and you have to figure it out?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. They're not going to use abbreviations. They're, they're going to use different words. So instead of calling it bidirectional media, they'll call it something different. Okay. So, and they expect you to pick up on the fact that it's the same thing.
0: Like our, our sugar and glucose from a previous episode. It, it,
1: exactly. Exactly. Okay. Just like that. Okay. So, so you, they, you, you don't need to know exactly what BDDM stands for. You just need to know what it represents. It represents technology, which we were talking about in the previous sentence. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Initially, I had the
0: impression I was being heard out, if reluctantly— But as the years have passed, my attempts to limb the shape of this epical transformation have been met increasingly with outrage and even abuse, in particular from my fellow writers. So he's saying this technological stuff that he's talking about uh, isn't being well received.
1: That's it. Yeah, well, the... The Exactly. So the things that he wants to talk about in terms of the impact. Exactly. Right. Okay. And And as it's, as it was discussing this, the author is also trying to convey the idea that technology is impacting literature. Mm-hmm. So not only is, is it that the author doesn't think people are necessarily, you know, listening to this, but the author is trying to educate us on what's happening. Yeah. All right. All right, paragraph
0: four. As for my attempts to express the impact of the screen on the page, on the actual pages of literary novels, I now understand that these were altogether irrelevant to the requirement of the age that everything be easier, faster, and slicker in order to compel the attention of screen viewers. So now it's he's changing from writers to now viewers. Um... And it sounds like he's saying that the impact of the screen on the page, he was, he was too... It sounds like he's admitting that he was too caught up in the technology instead of just understanding how people were actually viewing the words.
1: This is hard to understand. And is it necessary to understand? I don't think so. So it's better to just let it go and continue reading until you feel like you understand some part of it than to guess. Okay, because when you start guessing you're going to make assumptions that you'll need to hold on to for the next sentence or so, and that might start confusing you. So it's better to make no assumptions than to make the wrong assumption. Okay. So So if you don't catch on to exactly what this sentence is saying, or some idea or trend as to what this is saying, it's best to just let it go, consider what we were talking about before, and continue reading. But you're on the right lines, right? I mean, it's talking about how uh, you know, the author wanted to express the impact of the screen on the page, which means how computers are affecting literature, mm-hmm. right? Um, but now the author realizes that's irrelevant because everyone just wants something that's easier, faster, slicker. Yeah. So, so the author is saying, "Look, my my attempts were futile. They, they didn't matter. They they were not important."
0: Yeah. Okay. It strikes me that we're now suffering collectively from a tyranny of the virtual, since we find ourselves unable to look away from the screens that mediate not just print, but increasingly reality itself. So now he's talking about how technology is basically changing our reality, it sounds like.
1: That was it. That is something the MCAT will test. right? That's something that they'll talk about because it, this is something that like pretty much anyone who reads can understand right so yeah though that first sentence is actually a distraction for for the reader right it it's not important it's kind of like the author is conversing with you mentioning some random comment to only then present the most important comment right after it okay yeah. so what's what's the bigger picture that you need to really know from this paragraph
0: mm, that technology is changing us
1: yeah reality itself exactly yeah. okay all right, paragraph five. I think there
0: are several explanations for the anger directed against anyone who harps on the message of the new media. But in England, it feels like a strange inversion of what sociologists term professional closure. Um, I don't know. And So this is one where I'm not going to guess because you said I'll make too many assumptions. So I'm not going to guess and I, I I'll... Continue reading to see if I can pick something up.
1: I let's do that, and then I'll come back and look at this sentence with you. Go okay. Ahead. Instead of
0: making the entry to literary production and consumption more difficult, embattled writers and readers, threatened by the new means of literary production, are committing strange acts of professional foreclosure, holding fire sales of whatever remains of their unique and non-transferable skills as vessels of taste and therefore the canon and most notably as transmitters and receivers of truths that in many instances had endured for centuries. Ooh, so as I'm reading this, all, I, all I'm picturing is Donald Trump saying, fake news, fake news, fake news. It sounds like what he's saying is um, this transmitters and receivers of truths that's endured for centuries is going away because... There are these fire sales. We're just trying to get out as much as possible, uh, truth or not. Sounds good.
1: That's good enough. Go ahead. As I
0: survey the great (laughs) Götterdammerung of the Gutenberg half millennium, what comes to mind is the hopeful finale to Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. So we have Gutenberg, Half Millennium, I whatever that means. I don't know. And then we have a finale to Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, four, which I think is a movie slash book. Um, I'm not really sure, but there's this new person that he's introducing and um, it, the print is in italics, so I'm figuring it's the name of something. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't know what it's trying to tell me.
1: Yeah, so just the author's just saying, look, something comes to mind. This book, this piece of work. Italicized means it's a piece of work, right? Probably a book or title of a a show or something. This show or book is coming out. It's a popular book. Yep. Okay.
0: When Guy Montag, the one-time fireman or burner of books by appointment to a dystopian totalitarian state, falls in among the dissident hobo underclass he finds them to be the saviors of those books each person having memorized some or all of a lost and incalculably precious volume one person's gulliver's travels another the book of ecclesiastes so again he's introducing these other books here and i this paragraph i would be be lost other than the the truth uh sentence that we had picked up on earlier
1: Okay, so this is something that you're not going to be seeing on the test, right? This is so complicated, right? Relative to everything else we've read, you can see this is probably the hardest article we've read so far. Do you agree with that? I think so. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's just good to go over, break it down, try to understand it, because if you can break this stuff down and understand it, you can understand anything they throw at you. So it's great practice. Uh, What do you think? is going on you, you, go ahead and summarize what you said ryan again if you don't mind for this paragraph yeah so for this paragraph i just go back to the one
0: sentence that i kind of kind of did understand is that um there there's a change going on that that these writers are having these fire sales uh, of whatever they're writing and that it's it's different than what has endured for centuries
1: Sounds good. So, what do you think is the big picture of this passage? Like, what do you think the author really wants to convey after reading these five paragraphs? Um, it's interesting.
0: the The first couple talk about death and and novelists, writers' works not being kind of remembered forever, and then he switches to um, how technology potentially could change that but technology is having a bigger impact that maybe they didn't intend and that it may not be a good thing
1: those those are both true um just one thing to keep in mind is that technology is leading to this like this death of literature in a way okay right so so you got both parts uh the one thing uh, you said something about uh, technology is changing it. Just remember, it's changing it in a bad way. Yes, yeah, right. As long as you realize that, I think you're good. Mailer's work, that of that time period, the literature of that time period, is kind of being taken for granted, or at the very least diminished because of this technological change. That's kind of the big idea that the author wants you to know. Okay, right. What and,
0: what kind of question could come from a passage like this? Anything.
1: I mean, they'll they'll ask questions like, uh, what do you think the authors take on technology is, Mm -hmm. right? And you have to know it's kind of negative, right? Or they can ask um, a specific question about, uh, you know, maybe the, what's the guy's name, Gallard, Ballard, Ballard. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, oh, what did Ballard say about, about literature, right? And you'll need to know, oh, it's that as the person dies, so does their work, right? Uh, usually for these kinds of passages, they ask more big picture questions because no one particular paragraph was necessarily easy to understand. So it's the takeaway that they'll ask questions about. Uh, now, let's go ahead and break this paragraph down. Um, and I think it's interesting, like what the author's saying. It's not very important to understand, but it's interesting to know what it's saying. First sentence, I think there are several explanations for the anger directed against anyone who harps on the message of the new media. Basically, that's saying that there are reasons why uh, people go against anyone that actually challenges the new media. So there are reasons or explanations for why uh, people may challenge or go against uh, the people who actually want to question New media now. What is new media, Ryan? What do you think new media re- represents? Um, the technology and
0: and uh, yeah, the media right. coming out because of technology.
1: Right. New media. They never say that. Right. But that probably means the BDDM stuff, technology in general, and that's Pod, some Podcasts to, are new media. Yeah, new media. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so they expect you to realize that. So, so again, the authors basically saying that there are reasons why people attack people who actually challenge new media. But in England, it feels like a strange inversion. So maybe in England, they're not necessarily attacking, um, new media, right? Or they're not going against new media. Um, and they call that professional closure. I don't know what that means, but that's just the term they use when they talk about people who don't attack new media. Uh, Instead of making the entry to literary production and consumption, more difficult, embattled writers and readers threatened by the new means of literary production are committing strange acts of professional foreclosure. This makes it clear that they're talking about how writers and readers, instead of, instead of being threatened by this new media, they're, they're actually kind of helping the new media, they're actually embracing the new media. Now a lot of students who would read the first sentence will think, how did you know that in England they're they're not challenging the new media, right? How did you know it's not, uh, you know, the fact that in England they're not angry against like like the fact that like uh, people are challenging the new media? And the second sentence really clears that up. It tells you readers writers, and readers right who are threatened by new uh these new means are are doing something strange so they may not actually be threatened by it and it says holding fire sales of whatever remains of their unique and non transferable skills so uh, fire sales kind of reminds me of like. Selling things like really quickly because you're you're under fi- like in, in a fire really it's kind of like you're dumping it right mm-hmm. uh, And they're dumping their unique and non transferable ska- uh, skills and they consider that a vessel of taste So your vessels of taste are really unique and non transferable skills Therefore the canon is is um, Like it's kind of like uh, a, a representation of literature of strong literature the canon in literature represents like something that's impactful. Uh, you don't need to know that, that's not important. Uh, but they do call it the canon as well. And most notably as transmitters and rece- receivers of truths that in many instances had endured for centuries. So it seems like they are getting rid of their unique and non-transferable skills that have been around for many years, hundreds of years, centuries. Right. So that you caught that part, which is really good. That's all you really needed to know. As I surveyed the great whatever of the Gutenberg half millennium, what comes to mind is the hopeful finale to Ray Bad- Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. So as he or she realizes that people are embracing this new media, embracing this, this um, uh, basically tr- uh, death of their skills, which is ironic. Why would anyone want to do that? Um, the author is thinking about this book. Now, I don't know why we're thinking, why the author is thinking about this book until we read the next sentence. When Guy Montag, the one-time fireman, but not really a fireman, right, because it's quoted, so it's something else. It's not really a fireman. Or burner of books. So really, fireman represents burner of books, right? Someone who burns books. By appointment to a dystopian totalitarian state. So, they're giving you the plot of the book. Right? The book is about some guy, no pun intended, guy Montag, right? Who who is burning books based on the uh, you know based on the appointment of of this dystopian state, this this uh, government. Okay, so the government is telling this guy to burn books, falls in among the dissidents, dissident hobo underclass. So maybe he finds some underclass people. Um, and he finds them to be the saviors of those books. So as he's burning books, he realizes there are people who are saving the books, right? Each person having memorized some or all of a lost and incalculably precious volume. So they're saving these very valuable, precious volumes of work. One person, Gulliver's Travels, so that's one of those precious books. Another, this book, right, of uh, Ecclesiastes. I'm sorry. So whatever, however you want to pronounce that. So it comes down to this book, which is kind of saving or, or pointing to people saving this literature, right? So these people are saving this literature and it, and the author's thinking about these people. And maybe that's something that these guys should really be doing, but they're really not doing this, right? Instead, they're, they're giving the books or they're burning the books or they're burning their literature away. So it's a deeper way of understanding the bigger picture. The bigger picture here is we shouldn't necessarily be getting rid of this old literature. We should maybe be challenging this new media that is getting rid of or diminishing this old literature. And uh, this example at the end is kind of showing us how it might have been done, right? Where you might have people who are saving it. So it reminds the author of that of these people who are trying to save literature. Wow. Yeah, so it was, it was really hard to understand. But if you can try to visualize and try to break down every sentence when you review, right, not necessarily on your first take. A lot of students on their first take would not understand this. And I, don't, I would say 99% of people who read this don't understand it on their first take, right? Especially, you know, like just regular readers have a hard time reading, understanding this stuff. But if you break it down, that's kind of what it's trying to represent. Do you have any questions about that, Ryan? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense.
0: And I think the the big takeaway for me, as someone who has a hard time, if I were reading this uh, at MCAT test uh, timing, I you I obviously wouldn't be able to go back and break it down that much, and so I'd either be really frustrated that I didn't understand anything, or I try to utilize that that technique of I didn't understand everything. What is one thing I did understand?
1: That's it. That's it. Because that one thing you understood was enough. You don't need to understand why the author brought up Fahrenheit 451. You don't even need to understand what's happening in 451. I mean, it's great if you can. It's great if you do. But you don't need to be a perfectionist. You don't need to know everything 100% in order to get most of these questions right. And we, we talked about this before, right? Out of on a a scale from zero to a hundred percent, right? Um, what percentage do you really need, uh, to understand the passage? Like what, how much of a, how much of the passage do you really need to know in order to get all the questions right? And the answer is as low as 20%, 15, 20% is all you really need. And what you read was more than enough. Okay. Yeah. So big takeaway, I know a lot of students feel antsy when they read this stuff, but don't give up on it. Focus on what you do understand. Don't make a lot of assumptions if you don't understand stuff. Don't guess, right? It's better just just keep going until you do get it rather than trying to really delve into it and break it down on test day because you don't have that time. You don't have that luxury. And try to do this kind of breakdown after you read a passage uh, You know, when you're reviewing it because it helps you better understand how they're using the language, the English language. All right, there you have it, liberal arts,
0: how workers killed the liberal arts, more specifically. Hopefully this one was helpful for you. Again, increasing your skills, increasing your knowledge, increasing your confidence with the MCAT cars section. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT cars podcast. When you use the links provided in this podcast, you're helping to support MedEd Media and the podcasts that we produce. Not only do you get a discount, but we earn a small commission as well. Thank you for your support. One person's Gulliver's Travels Another, the book of a class, Ecclesi- uh, a Ecclesi- oh, How do you say that
1: one? I think it's, uh, <coughs> ecclesiastes. Uh, I, I don't know, forget it. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> ecclesiastes. Yeah, ecclesiastes. All that's right. It. Okay.